Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 2. If you're uh, visiting with us and maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, we've printed the text for you on page 9 of your worship guide. Uh, we are working our way through the book of Colossians. It's our regular pattern here at Zion is to preach our way through books uh, of the Bible because that's the way God has given it to us and we find it profitable. So Colossians chapter 2 starting with verse 16 and reading through Verse 23, this is God speaking to us through his word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but... They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Would you join me as we pray again and ask God to bless his word preached? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're the great prophet, priest, and king. And we pray that as we approached the throne of God through your priestly sacrifice, that we would now hear your prophet's voice teaching us and experience your kingly rule changing us. Father, maybe some for the first time would have their spirits made alive so they could come to Jesus today as his gospel is proclaimed. We pray that you would do but that kind of work in all of us. Bring us back to Jesus for we're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. So pull us back in, we pray by your word and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I, these, these kind of words are often on my ears, but they're often in my heart, uh, too. I don't just hear people saying them. I feel them myself. I just, I just want to change. I don't want to think these thoughts anymore. I don't want to do these things anymore. At some point in all of our lives, we have been there. It's what most of us are thinking most of the time. I just want to be different than I am. Where the self-esteem movement says, you just got to love yourself. The truth of the matter is that there's not much inside of us to love. And we know it because we know ourselves too well. I just can't get out of this hole. I just can't break this pattern. I just want to change. Part of the reason I think that we don't enjoy the kind of power that is available in the Christian life is because we have got the metaphor for the Christian life all wrong. And what metaphors do is they, they create grids so that we can understand things. And 
here's what I mean. I think for most of us, what we think about belonging to Jesus is it's sort of like getting an insurance policy. An insurance policy is of little value today. One day you'll need it and you'll need to cash it in when something you know, goes wrong, but it's just for the future. It has no present value um, in today's life. It protects for the future, but it has no, no ability to do anything in the present. I think that's the way we think about Jesus. My, I got saved, and so one day I've got this insurance policy that I can cash in when I get to heaven, and my eternal destiny is secured because I belong to Jesus. And while that is true, it is only part of the gospel. So we've got to change the grid. We change it to think, in Christ I've entered into a kingdom Switch the metaphors. I belong to a kingdom or a realm that is broken into this world. And the new creation where Jesus reigns over all things is not just a future reality. It is also a present reality. A king is on his throne. See, a kingdom metaphor, a kingdom is about power. A king has power to defeat enemies. A king has power to protect his people. A king has power to provide for those who are in need. A king sits on his throne and reigns. And so Jesus, the king, paid the penalty for our sins and the record of debt is canceled against us. This is what Paul has just said in verse 14. But he also not only did that for us at the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. He has in view here his kingdom breaking in and putting down the destructive forces of sin and Satan. To belong to Jesus means that you belong to a kingdom and the Father has done this. He has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness. This is chapter 1 verse 13 and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That changes things. That has present value now and in the future. And here's what's going on in the Colossian church. This is why Paul is writing this letter. I was having a conversation this week and someone said, uh, you know, a friend of theirs was having a hard time because they were looking for the perfect church. And I thought, you actually don't want to belong to that kind of church, right? Because only uh, a, a perfect church has no room for broken people. I also thought the whole New Testament is written only to broken churches that have problems. Here's the problem that the Colossian church was falling into. They're falling for an age-old trap, falling back into a pattern of spirituality, a pattern of trying to live the Christian life that is completely devoid of the kind of power that Jesus has at his disposal and gives to his people. See, a false teacher had infiltrated the church and began promoting what I'm going to call bottom-up spirituality. He was suggesting that the secret to the Christian life, the secret to change, was actually retreating from life, what verse 18 calls asceticism and a higher level spiritual experience. Like if you retreat from life and and look for the next level of spiritual experience, what he calls worship of angels and visions or participating in certain Jewish festivals, 
festival, new moon and Sabbath, the pattern. That was the Old Testament pattern of celebration and avoiding certain types of food and drinks. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This was what he was telling him. This is the key to experience Christ's power in your life. If you just retreat from life and take up these other things. I mean, here's the problem with bottom-up spirituality. Do these things, you'll find the secret. Bottom-up spirituality says this. Its core message is, this is what you need to do. And it starts with steps that you need to take. And has verse 12, 21, the appearance of wisdom. But verse 23 has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Bottom-up spirituality is what you'll find in the self-help section of the bookstore. Or, since no one goes to bookstores anymore, on Amazon. Bottom-up spirituality is what you'll find on Dr. Oz or Oprah or from Jordan Peterson. Bottom-up spirituality is what you will find in other world religions. And as we'll see today, the gospel provides us a completely different way because it comes from above, not from below. Bottom-up spirituality starts with human effort and ends with hopelessness because it just won't work. And so here's why. And Paul gives us three reasons why bottom-up spirituality doesn't work in this passage. And then he'll give us the key to gospel transformation. Bottom-up spirituality doesn't work. Three reasons why. It doesn't work because it identifies the wrong problem. Bottom-up spirituality identifies the problem in the environment. It's out there. If we just get the world right out there, then everything will be right in here. Our country ran an interesting social experiment. And the way this is translated, Paul, is like if you just treat the problem like if you don't touch the right things, if you don't taste the right things, if you don't handle the wrong things, then then you'll really be changed. And here's the problem. Our country actually ran this experiment in a bottom-up spirituality in the 1920s into 1933. For 13 years, we got rid of alcohol, completely outlawed it. We actually amended the Constitution because we thought alcohol is a destructive force in society. And we adopted bottom-up spirituality. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. We just get rid of this evil then that our country will be a morally pure place and we'll get rid of crime and marriages will be okay. And here's the fact. It failed miserably. Our country not only did not outgrow its corruption and grow better, in fact, the cost of law enforcement and prisons population increased during the time. It has no power. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 23. Paul tells us the problem isn't out there. It's not that we need to protect ourselves from things out there. The corruption isn't in the created thing out there. It is in our hearts. Verse 23. These things have no value, no power in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Flesh, that's Paul's shorthand for indwelling sin. Indwelling sin is a corrupting power that is inside of us, in our hearts, because of Adam's fall into sin. The corruption isn't in the created thing, it's in here. And this heart of mine wants to 
do corrupting things with the good things that God has made before I actually sin. Indeed, sin is a power that is inside of us. And it has, and I love this language of an indulgence of the flesh. It has an insatiable desire to indulge gratuitously in rebellion against God. It, it sort of hoards the good things that God has made and wants to corrupt those things and use them for my own desire. And it will not stop. It is indulging in everything. It's an addict towards rebellion against God. The indulgent power of the flesh does not need to be restricted. I often sit with someone who's struggling with addiction. So you can't put boundaries in place when there's a stallion, a fierce, untamed stallion inside of those fences. It will break through. It is just a matter of time. That stallion has to be tamed and killed. This indulgent power of the flesh can't be restricted. It needs to be killed by a greater power, subdued. Bottom-up spirituality does not have that kind of power to kill the beast of sin that is in all of our hearts. Identifies the wrong problem. Bottom-up spirituality, here's the other problem, Paul says, looks to the created thing for that kind of power. And the created thing has no power to corrupt or to heal. Verse 23, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. I really struggled for years with that sort of last thing. What is Paul saying when he says referring to things that all perish when they're used? And it struck me. The created thing, right? If we just try to put boundaries in place and fence off so that we don't handle, do not taste. Here's what Paul, he's like, those, all those things have no power in themselves. They have one-off uses. What you drink goes in and it's used up and then perishes. It has no power in itself. Beer, bread come from grains. They get their energy from outside of themselves. Soil The rain, the sun put energy into our food. That energy stored, gets consumed, it used up, perishes. And if we treat the way to change as just staying away from outside things that won't solve again the problem inside of us. Kombucha won't kill the flesh. All non, not, you engage in an all non-GMO diet, it won't produce love for neighbor. It may be a good thing to do for your health, but it won't produce actual love for your neighbor. There's no power in a well-balanced gut to fix your marriage or cure your depression or your anxiety. The created thing has no power in themselves. If you can manipulate it, if you can cook it, grow it, cultivate it, buy it, or in any way change it, then it cannot change you. Thirdly, bottom-up spirituality may, actually makes the problem worse. Right? Because if bottom-up spirituality says, do these things, stay away from these things, put in your effort, then you'll change. Here's the problem with that. It has a subtle temptation because it appeals to our sense of pride and it absolves us of all responsibility. And then at the flip side, if it works, it gives us credit for change. What all it's doing is building the problem. These, verse 23 again, have indeed 
an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. It would be easier, wouldn't it be, if the problem was out there? Then I can just blame somebody else. If the problem's just out there, then I can look for an easy fix. And if the problem's out there and I tackle a little bit of it, then I get the credit. We don't have to be held responsible. We don't have to feel guilty. We can place the blame on someone else. But if the problem really is bigger than even I have the power to deal with, we're in a different boat. This is the irony of bottom-up, the, the irony of the bottom-up spirituality fix. Instead of dealing with the deep underlying problem of sin and pride, it just feeds it. And this is what Paul says. It makes you puffed up because all the root of sin is pride. That is the beast that is inside of us. I want credit. I want it my way. I want to live in rebellion. I want to do things my way. Mine, mine, mine. Paul says it just has the appearance of wisdom and has no power and all to do is make you feel a deeper sense of pride. And until that pride is killed, nothing will change in our lives. Absolutely nothing. And so Jesus' way, let's transition now. Jesus' way is just so completely different, so radical, is a completely different approach unlike any other. See, where the world says to us, here's how you can change yourself. Jesus says, I alone can change you, so lay hold of me, and I will. Let's look at the solution he offers. It starts with verse 16. Therefore, therefore. The old saying goes when you're reading a letter in the New Testament that when you see therefore, you should ask, what is therefore, therefore? It's a, it's a joining word. It's a connecting word. And Paul is connecting us here back to, this is the things that he's just said. Back to specifically in verses 8 through 15, our union with Christ These are the things that he's just said about those who belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 12, you were united to Jesus in his death and resurrection, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the thing about death. It releases you. It releases you from debts. It releases you from illness. And it releases you from corruption inside of you and if you've been united to Jesus you've been united to him in his death and resurrection that means the power of sin has been crucified it's been killed and it's being tamed by Jesus not only that verse 13 that would be good news but verse 13 therefore God has made you alive from the dead. That's the language of the resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead with more glory and power than he had before. So too are you if you're united to Jesus Christ. Verse 14, by the cross, the penalty of sin has been paid. Therefore, God has canceled the record of debt that stood against us. Verse 15, by the cross, in our union with Christ, this is what is true. Jesus has disarmed the demonic realm and put them to open shame. 
triumphing over them. Verse 6, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. See, Jesus is not just the, the door into God's kingdom and then you continue by your effort. That's a common problem that has beset every Christian from the book of Colossians, the church in Colossae, to the church in Galatia. To us today, I got it, he got me in, the rest is up to me. And this is what Paul's saying, don't lose hold of your union with Christ. This is who you are. Bottom-up spirituality fails because, verse 19, it fails by not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. This is what Paul says to the church in Galatia. Did you begin by faith and now continue in the flesh? Like, it's just absurd to think that way. This is not the way the Christian life works. The Christian life works this way. I'm united to Jesus. I've been given his spirit and the resurrection life of Jesus is now living in me. I've been made alive from the dead. This is now who I am, so I need to hold on. It's interesting that Paul puts these two together, right? It would, it would be adequate for him just to say, look, these bottom-up spirituality is dangerous and has no power. They'll just make you proud. That would be enough, but it's not what he does. It's not what God ever does in his word. It's not to just to diagnose the problem and say, quit doing that. He always takes it a step further. God always takes us into the gospel. These things are dangerous because they, pro- they promote pride. But don't so remember. Remember. Jesus is the one from whom all of your nourishment comes. World religions, clever philosophies work from the outside in, but Jesus, by the power of his spirit, works from the inside out. John Flavel says, look, he says about, the in, about Jesus dwelling in us by his Holy Spirit, he says, grace is to corruption like water is to fire. So you've received Jesus, so walk in him. Don't just leave this behind. So let me give us some practical steps from gospel-centered spirituality, Christ-centered spirituality. Three, three steps. So if there's three problems with bottom-up, there's three things that we need to do. It's very practical. It's very simple. It's very powerful. So don't mistake simple for lack of power. Simple is good. God is not a God of complexity and confusion. He is a God who clearly states, clearly works. And, it, and what we'll find is Jesus is enough. That's their theme. For step one, embrace the head. Right? So let's take this metaphor a little bit further of holding fast to the head. And don't let your kind of... Just skip over that word holding fast. It's pretty vivid language. You hold fast to something when you're seizing it, you're grasping it with all of your power because you're in a place of desperation. A child who is in a a chaotic crowd holds fast to her mom's hand because she doesn't want to get lost. That mom is hope. If you're falling, you hold fast to a rope to save your life. There is no shortcut. In the Christian life, there's also no magic bullet. See, if what's being promoted by the false teachers in Colossae, he was 
pulling some things in from the Old Testament law, eat some things, avoid some things, celebrate some fact. What he's looking for, he's like, these are the keys. And Paul's like, no, no, no. These are just shadows. Like the whole Old Testament in all of its celebration, its law, was just a shadow pointing to Jesus, who is the reality. So hold fast to the reality. He is enough. And then he takes this a little bit further into the head metaphor. And he says, look, this is the way your body works. Your head provides nourishment and causes growth. Now think about this. The head is what causes growth. The brain and the glands in the head regulate the body and make it grow. Literally make it grow. A child born without a functioning brain, without a good head, will not grow in this life. The head is essential to the full functioning over the whole body. And this is what Paul's saying. Look, Jesus is your head. And he's enough. He's the one in whom all of the fullness of God dwelled. Verse 9 of chapter 2. He is the one who brought all things into existence from nothing. Chapter 1, verse 16. He's the creator and ruler over the invisible realms of angels and demons. He is the God who holds all things together. He is sufficient. And as your head, he will make you grow. So hold on in desperation to the head. Don't ever let the gospel slip out of your hands. The gospel, holding on to the gospel is like holding on to sand. You only hold on to sand if you keep at it. It's the only way I can keep it in. So hold fast to Jesus. Don't go after bottom after spirituality, bottom up spirituality. Paul says, look, uh, why do you do that as if, verse 20, you are still alive in the world? And you might think, wait, I am alive in the world. Yes, you are alive in the world, but not in the way. You're alive in the world because you're united to Jesus Christ. You've entered into a new realm. You're like Alice have entered into Wonderland. It's a whole different reality inside of here. Or like the Provences who go through the wardrobe into Narnia and find a whole enchanted world. You belong to Jesus. And when you hold on to him, he makes the whole body grow with a growth. Do you get this? That is from God. Secondly, this is shorter. So hold fast to the head. Jesus is sufficient. Reject other methods of change. Again, the problem in the church in Colossae is that they're grabbing a little bit from the culture and Judaism. They're grabbing a little bit from the Roman and Greek God mythology system. They're kind of mixing it together with a little bit of Jesus and and they're calling themselves. And Paul's like, "Look, look, just stop. You've got to reject other methods of change. Verse 16 Let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Both of these are commands. They are not suggestions. They're imperatives. Imperatives have the sense of calling you to action. So if you want to know what Paul's calling you to, he says, look, reject other methods of change. Say, look, I'm not alive in the world, and so the world's methods of change don't apply to me. My approach to change is now fundamentally different. We'll see in a second. It's simple. It's not complex, but it's quite powerful. But also, thirdly, embrace your liberty and don't let judgment be passed on by others. You are free to enjoy God's good creation. 
So the reasoning goes something like this. Oftentimes, you shouldn't drink alcohol because bad things sometimes happen when people drink alcohol. Well, sometimes bad things happen when people are sexually aroused, and I don't see the same people applying the same principle consistently. Sometimes bad things happen when people overeat, so I don't see the consistent principle being applied consistently or overworked or played too much sports. You can begin to fill in the blanks. The fundamental flaw is to treat creation like it's a bad thing. God declared this. It is good. One author put it this way. It's sub-Christian to deny the good gifts of a bountiful creator and the cause of an advanced spirituality. It would be a strange road to Christ's likeness to refuse the blessings that Christ has made. He's made this world. God has spoken. And where he has spoken, we obey. Where he has not spoken, we don't put restrictions in place. And so this is, don't pass judgment on each other and don't allow others to pass judgment on you. And, and this gets subtle oftentimes in the church. Like if we go to the right school or we're about Christian education and they're not. Or we're about classical education and they're not. We're about public school. They're not. Our parenting style, goes, list goes on. Paul's like, quit. Just quit. Don't let, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. These lists are endless. And we have to begin to say, these have no power over the flesh. And because of that, these are no place to draw lines. Unless God has drawn a line, we will draw that line where he has not. We won't embrace that freedom and walk in it. Lastly, I told you there was three. I, I lied, there are four. I didn't lie, I just miscounted. Actually, I just forgot. Because <laughs> this is, I think, the most important. Embrace your nourishment. From the head. See, as the head, Jesus provides sufficient nourishment and makes all things grow with a growth that is from God. The head, Jesus, feeds you in a sufficient manner from his sufficient word. Look, 15, 30 minutes in God's word will provide you more power than hours spent seeking the key to a higher level experience. The tree, the person that meditates on God's word is like a tree that's planted by streams of water and that tree grows and produces fruit in the weirdest times because something is nourishing it from the outside. There's power there that makes fruit grow. And so while spirituality of Jesus is simple, it's not easy. It does take some discipline. You are going to have to, have to put away your phones be nourished by the head from his word. Again, one author says this. The type of dissatisfaction that we've all felt questions the toil involved with Christian service. We grumble this way. We wonder, is there no better way by which God would do his work amongst us? Questions the effort required for prayer. Is there not, we ask, a new level of spirituality to relieve us from the effort prayer requires? It's hard work. It is hard work because there is a beast inside of us that is, and it's pride rebelling against God. But when you do the hard work, you'll find to be sweet and daily work. 
to walk with Christ just as you received him. God's word, prayer, they're ordinary in their appearance, extraordinary in their power. And they are sufficient because they come to us from the head through which we grow by God's grace. Let's pray. God, I would ask that you would, oh, make us a people so desperate to be freed from the beast of sin that you would draw us to Jesus over and over and over and over again. And that then, by faith, through the gospel, change us. Don't let us ever grow weary or tired of the sufficiency of your word to produce life-long, lasting, and sin-killing change in us. For when we are in it, we are here, our heads speaking to us with the kind of power that comes from God. So we praise you for that. Thanks for not leaving us to ourselves. We would be utterly, utterly without hope if you did. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.